Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, 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 my fine feathered friends, welcome to episode 111 of Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill, singer in a heavy metal band trying to make sense of things I do not understand. As you can hear if you've been following the podcast, my voice is back to its sexy timbre. Um, or rather, I've probably been busy shredding my vocal cords. Um, and I'm going to find out in a couple of months that they don't repair themselves for a while until you stay quiet. And how am I going to do this for all of you beautiful people if I have to stay quiet? I will cross that bridge of death when I come to it. Well, well, well. You can follow me on the gram at nemtheangle underscore primordial and primordial underscore Official, if you want to support the show, there are tiers for as little as one of your Earth dollars um, per month, whatever that means, uh, at patreon.com slash Alan Averill. The show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com in North America. Use the promo code ALAN for 10% off your order, etc., etc. Sorry, etc., etc. Are you happy now? Well, now... What are we going to talk about today? Well, I suppose, considering that I did the three tour episodes, <clears throat> and one of them was called, or rather provocatively, Strip Searched in Sweden, I suppose it would be remiss of me to not go over um, the two festivals which Primordial just played. The first of the year, if my memory serves me correctly, um, and the first since all the restrictions pretty much, pretty much, got dropped as in nobody's asking for anything at airports and all that kind of thing which if you're still putting off traveling and you're worried about all of the things that you were fed and your head was filled with over the previous i don't know 200 years whatever it is um fear not fear not for the most part nobody is asking you for anything unless you get the one the one grumpy passport control chap who feels it is his mission Anyway, so what are we going to talk about? Well, I think that really I should go over the two festivals, Thronefest, Gravelandfest, because they represent kind of two sides of the coin. 
for playing uh, festivals at this time of year. Um, two different experiences and how to deal with both of them. But primarily, I think what this podcast is going to be about is every band's worst nightmare, which is being involved in a high-speed motorway crash. Um, and yes, the reality is, sitting here right now, um, two days later, well, two, three days after it happened, I consider us and all of us within the band to be very, very, very lucky. And I'm going to get into it, uh, what happened, how you, you know, um, the first time experience of realizing like, oh, fuck, we're about to crash. <clears throat> what that's like, all that kind of thing. Now, of course, if you've experienced things like this before, you know, this this podcast might come as a little laborious to you, but let's hope not, because it is, after all, every band's kind of nightmare. And once we got to Graveland Festival in Belgium, or sorry, in Holland, on the day after that we exchanged various, um, various different variations with other bands of the same horror stories. Many, to many it hasn't happened. And if you think back to the 30-year career that the band has had, that Primordial has had, it is something of a miracle that nothing like this has happened before to us. We've had a few very, very close shaves, a few very, very close scrapes, um, and, you know, a couple of little couple of little dints here and there. But by and large, we've been usually very, um, very lucky. So I'll set the scene. I'll set the scene and explain what happened and get into it. Because like I said, the reality is you place your, um, you, I mean, you place your life within another person's hands every time you get into a van and you drive from one festival to another. And it is many times that somebody has arrived um, at a festival, collect you at an airport at seven or eight, nine in the morning and you realize it's some speed adult punk who's been sent by some festival, who's been sleeping on the back seat. Um, the front of the van is littered with Red Bull and all this kind of stuff and it's on those occasions that I personally, as somebody who's always had insomnia or difficulty sleeping, take it upon myself to sit in the front um, while everybody sleeps. Now, some people um, are well adept at sleeping anywhere. For example, Kieran from Primordial can just put his head down and sleep. The, the man has, we've been on flights to America and he has woken up 15 minutes before arriving in New York going, oh, are we, are we there yet? And has slept for um, 95% of the flight. It's an incredible skill and one that I lack. So, in my opinion, the best use of my um, insomnia or inability to do this is to sit with the driver and to talk to them, to observe what they're doing, to make sure they don't take risks, to go, hey, buddy, what's up? Hey, buddy, maybe keys, slow down a bit, slow down a bit. I do remember I'm being picked up from some, or rather a festival forgot to pick us up in the south of France. And um, we landed, I think, somewhere in Switzerland and they sent two cars of maniacs to collect us. And we had to have a, how shall we say, a debriefing of the situation at some stage um, at a petrol station and go, listen, we're not here to die trying to get to this festival. If the worst case scenario is we arrive an hour before playing or half an hour before playing, we will handle that or you can call ahead and ask the band who are after us you want to swap you want to swap maybe it can work or sometimes it can't work a well-known swedish heavy metal band who moonlight sometimes uh, with their rather poor and mediocre death metal band that nobody's interested in would not swap with primordial at hellfest one time and so we ended up only playing half our set hmm answers on a postcard if you know who that is let the hammer fall 
Anyway, yeah, I love that track. Anyway, the point being, the point being that um, every time you go everywhere, I suppose this is the risk that you take when you get on a flight, even though the chances of being involved in a plane crash are infinitesimally, infinitesimally, what's the word? Yeah, it looks very small compared to um, a car crash. Um, and so the reality, but the reality is, of course, that is like a subconscious fear. That's like, um, you know, the, the great plane crashes, like the, you know, seeing a great white in the ocean. It's a kind of, it's a shark filled atavistic nightmare, which is somehow burned into our subconscious. But yet the fact is that if you look at the amount of road deaths on the every year, um, take pick your country, but especially somewhere like the USA or something, there we're talking tens of thousands of people. I shouldn't have really rolled out that number without speaking in turn, but I did look into this before and it's a lot of people. Anyway, so maybe I should post that with a disclaimer. Whatever, you can look up your own country. I mean, I know it was a big problem here in Ireland um, and it was mainly with young men who were racing around country roads between one, two, three and four in the morning on a Friday and Saturday night. Now, it's up to you to guess what was their stimulant of choice as they haired around country roads. But... It is a huge problem out there. And every time you get in a van with somebody, you, you do place your life in their hands. I remember many times, um, and I've been quite a stickler for this, apart from always putting my seatbelt on, but being unwilling to get in vans and buses or cars with people who I think are drunk or think people I think are high or people I think are just, I will tell somebody to pull over. You know, you've got to pull over the next service station. I am that dickhead and go, we're not going any further. I don't care. I will miss a flight. And I'm, you know, I will tell the rest of them, you can keep going, or the rest of whoever I'm with, you can go keep going if you want, but I would rather get a hotel and wait till tomorrow and take the train myself to the airport. Um, and I have stepped out of vans and stuff with people and gone, I don't think I don't think this is what you should be doing right now. We should take a two or three hour recess, try and get a little bit of a nap. Uh, we have time or we don't have time or we'll get the next flight. Much the irritation and annoyance of some people because it's human nature to never believe that it will happen to you. But... This morning, it did. It was, uh, we finished playing at um, Thronefest, which I will get into in Belgium, um, and just, um, you know, a kind of light and dark discussion of the two festivals. Um, but we finished playing at about one in the morning, quarter past one. Too late is the truth. Um, as a band, you never really want the, they call it the graveyard slot. Even if you're headlining, and you want the 8 to 9 to 10 p.m. slot because people just get too drunk, they get too tired, they get worn out. Maybe they miss the last bus. Maybe the festival is not near hotels. Maybe it's too cold for camping, which it certainly was. So people have to kind of make their way back into the town where usually an indoor uh, event like Thronefest is sort of going to be held in the burb somewhere or in some industrial area of the city. So people just get fed up and tired and way too drunk and they're just like, ugh, whatever, let's go halfway through the set, which actually is exactly what happened. But that's not really part of the story because we were tired anyway. Um, so we, had to, we went to bed at maybe two, half two, when we, you finally get all the backdrops down, all your stuff together gather all all the all the sheeple together to get in the van it takes a while to gather all these people together um and <clears throat> i'm gonna have to get some sort of stunt voice double i can feel it next week so uh, if a few of you could say some prayers for my vocal cords out there that would be great thank you however so after about four hours sleep you get up now personally i never am woken by an alarm i always rise 
out of my crypt, out of my coffin, sarcophagus alike, um, like um, some sort of undead pharaoh. Uh, who's been recalled to life by some magical spell. I never get woken by the alarm. I'm not a heavy sleeper. In fact, the LED light on a um, some piece of electronic equipment in a hotel room just flickering will put me off. I've been known to put black tape, to bring black tape with me, especially just to cover lights in hotel rooms. Even the little light that flickers on the smoke alarm or whatever else, anything. Um, where I sleep is pretty much like a tomb. And so I sort of replicate that. If light, if curtains are too light, I will hang the band's backdrop over the curtains. Yep, yeah, I'm that guy. You can see now why I choose to usually, if I think the driver... For example, we did some Dread Sovereign tours where um, everybody will be sleeping in the back. I mean, don't forget, you've got tons of gear behind you as well. It's a great weight of stuff packed into the back of the van. Um, and, you know, we've done Dread Sovereign tours with my good friend Daniel from Killtown, who does Killtown Deathfest. And I'll go, Daniel, I'm sitting up front with you because you're as tired as me and I'm going to talk you through this tiredness and we're going to chat about stuff because in a way it's not really fair that everybody in the bus or the van just has their head down trying to sleep and no one um, is trying to keep the driver company or awake or, you know, talk them through maybe a mistake or whatever. I'm not distract them, but you know what I mean. But anyway, this morning... 7 a.m. We got up at 6.45, so we've had three or four hours sleep. Everyone is too tired to stay awake, realistically, except me. Um, Even, you know, just moments before impact, I looked at everybody and I could see pretty much everyone with their head down. Um, Even though my noise, I'm sorry if you listen to this on headphones, um, sort of woke people in the last couple of seconds. But, so you've had like three or four hours sleep, um, you trust the driver is rested. He was a, you know, what seemed like a professional driver, not a festival guy who's been out on the booze all night, and which does happen. And sometimes you've had to go, hey, um, Mr. Festival Organizer or Mrs. Festival Organizer, can you send down a different driver? This guy's been on the piss all night. Um, or, you know, I don't know, doing lines all night or whatever. It does happen. But this guy... He was pretty calm, cool and collected. He looked like a professional driver. He was there with his proper van. So it's about 7 a.m. We head out. And, um, you know, motorways in Europe, a bit different to motorways in America. Motorways in America tend to have much more lanes, um, five, six lane highways. This particular highway we're on in Belgium is maybe um, two lanes, I guess, in the hard shoulder. And we're doing maybe 120, maybe 130 kilometers an hour. Now, you've probably read all the descriptions, the terrible descriptions of crashes from um, the one that sticks in my mind is the band Baroness, um, great band, um, who um, were in a very, very big collision. I think two bands, they all survived, but they, they, the, uh, the story I read was that they literally careered off, off an overpass into the air and they were all thrown into the air as the van started to descend. One, that must be an incredible um, incredibly horror and dread, dread pu- truly dreadful feeling, a feeling of impending dread. Aut- autopsy reference there for you, cool kids. Um, however, this time we were doing about 120, 130 kilometers an hour, barreling down the motorway. There wasn't that many cars on it, which turns out to be one of the most lucky things that you can imagine in the context of what was about to happen. And a small car in our lane um, literally just braked you know, like to a shuddering halt or almost to a halt right, you know, 30, 40 yards in in front of us. And we were doing like 130. And in that 
moment, you've got a few split seconds and our driver are braked and maneuvered. And so we only smashed into kind of like the left back side of this car. Um, so the whole front front um, right end of our uh, van smashed into it. So we avoided a head-on collision at 130, um, which I'm pretty sure if had happened, would have killed, uh, I presume, and certainly would have killed the people in the front. Um, I have pretty much no doubt of. Uh, one of the guys from... Um, Tribulation told me a terrible story about them crashing head-on in their camper van and at the last moment of one of the members lifting his legs up to avoid having his legs completely removed as the whole front of the camper van crumpled into the front seat. So I imagine something akin to that would have happened. Thankfully, everyone had their seatbelt on. Um, And I saw it happening and it's that moment where you go, oh, fuck, we're about to crash. And you skid and you maneuver and I think the reactions of the driver sort of saved everyone. Um, the old woman who was driving the car, I guess mid-60s, um, gave a statement to the police and said uh, she saw a rat. A rat. I kid you not. The policeman came down to get my statement and he looked at me like, dude, this is what she said. I know, it's fucking mental. Um, kind of like, you're very lucky, man, because... She was, um, if this is true, she was scared by a rat and could have potentially killed a van load of people. Anyway, anyway, um, I'm sure there's some heavy metal irony there of some sort of song title. Um, you can weave into the narrative here. However, our driver swerved, braked and brought us from maybe 120, 130 to 90, 80. We hit the side of the car. Everybody kind of, you know, thrown back and sideways. Um, and... Thankfully, thankfully, and that is really the word, there was not an articulated truck bearing down into the laneway we were spun into. Um, As there was a huge red articulated truck, maybe about 100 metres, 150 metres back, that the guy weaved his way through the detritus and the smashed bits of car that were all over the road um, quite angrily to continue on his way. But if that guy had been 150 metres nearer, he would have hit the back of us and whatever he was going at. And I have no doubt smashed us to pieces, killed several people um, because all of our gear was packed behind us, all our guitars, our hard cases, everything. Um, And a van like that is not designed to take an impact from an articulated truck. And so that moment, um, I think, is very, very strange. Now, some of you go, well, Alan, what are you doing with the podcast? Making it about this? Well, isn't it all about our lived experience? I mean, look, how could I, like I said to you, I told you about being strip searched in Sweden and the threat of a cavity search. So I might as well talk about uh, high speed dirt, right? High speed motorway crash. In fact, it's probably an annihilator lyric somewhere, isn't there, about this or one that isn't about macaroni cheese or whatever. Um, I was asked to try out on vocals once for annihilator, actually, a long time ago. Never did it. Although I wouldn't have quite, I would think I would have quite enjoyed singing Alice in Hell or, um, you know, um, human insecticide, maybe. Anyway. If you're listening, Jeff, I wouldn't mind another go. Anyway, so we are spun into this other lane. Everybody is kind of shocked. Smoke is billowing out from where the brake, um, the handbrake is. And of course, in your head, you go, we could go on fire. Could we? Is that a thing? As far as I know, it's not really a thing that happens to vans or cars. But in my head, it's a thing. And I'm right at the back in the corner. And you're like, out, out, out. Get the fuck out. Everyone out. Of course, everyone is stunned and dazed and... I'm looking out the back window going, 
Are we about to be ploughed into by another car, another truck? Now, thankfully, it was seven in the morning and not eight in the morning, because I think at eight or nine in the morning, there's way more traffic. But we were kind of before all of those morning commuters. And you know what? Everyone stepped out of that van one by one, unscathed. Of course, there was a few black eyes, a few um, pulled shoulders, a few hurt ribs and that kind of thing. But unbelievably, we um, stepped out of the van. Um, I'm bits of van everywhere, all over the road. And we were able to pull the door open, which sometimes you can't, of course, because it's smashed in. Um, And nothing more than that, really. We didn't speak to the woman. The police arrived. Um, She was standing there. Then she decided to put on a high-vis vest, which I thought was quite interesting and ironic. My um, guess is that she fell asleep um, and woke, panicked, and hit the brakes. Um, it was just her first instinct because she felt she was out, about to go out of control or whatever. Now, apparently, the motorway, highway law, or whatever you want to say, um, places um, the impact or whatever on the car behind or whatever. Now, I don't know, but I don't know. I would have said that, well, ooh, um, I would have said that this woman gave her statement to the police saying it was a rat, a rata. Um, so therefore, she's kind of signed her own insurance Uh, claim there really hasn't she and all of us got out in the morning uh, sun dazed and confused and what happens then is you spend your entire day now we did get back in another van a few hours later to go and complete um, the weekend and go and play at Graveland Fest some people wanted to get the flights instead some people um, just wanted to just have a moment's peace and relax Um, as it turned out we were too late to get our flights anyway um, a taxi guy basically came and got us and from the and took, we took our guitars out and lo- la- basically landed into another van almost exactly the same as the one we crashed leaving behind our driver who was calmly waving to us take it easy guys knowing I suppose in, in the knowledge that his quick manoeuvring had realistically probably saved somebody's life certainly saved somebody's um, injury um, or something much more extreme because For me, being the person sitting in the back, there was that moment like, oh, we're about to crash. And no one else really seems to be, not everyone is aware. And the moment you realize you've been through this moment before and it hasn't happened, but you all of a sudden, oh. And it's like time slows down and it moves very, very slowly. And I heard myself make a noise, put my hands up to brace for impact, so to speak. And I saw I came out pretty much unscathed. but it time kind of slows down and then you thump into the back of the car and then there's like a your ears are kind of sore not sore like dead or whatever you know well i mean i'm I'm going deaf anyway and i'm losing my voice as you can hear but um and that moment of silence and then it's in that moment of silence my first thought was we're going to get hit by something from behind and i'm sitting in the back um this is where this is the moment where i get the fucking brunt of it we're all in the back we're all at risk everyone needs to get out now thankfully as i said it was 7 a.m and there wasn't heavy traffic but this is every band's worst nightmare because you really do trust in in you know the drivers you get in a van with and it really brought it home to me that sometimes it doesn't matter the guy you're driving with could have been um uh you know an incredible driver who never had an accident but if a woman falls asleep wakes up and just breaks on the motorway and you're behind her, you're going to, in this, as this, as this, you know, example unfolded and you're going to hit them at 100 kilometers an hour. Well, then 
there isn't really much you can do with all of the fail-safes or the, whatever you want to say, with all the precautions you've taken. All I can say is, wear your seatbelt, folks. Don't be one of those macho dudes who goes, I don't need uh, I don't need seatbelt. Uh, not for me. I'm looking at you, Latin people. That's who I'm looking at. Many a van I've gone in, got in, whether it's in Guatemala, Brazil, or even in Italia. And people, ah, not so inclined. It's, it seems to be a, you know, a little dent in there. And it's like, are you saying I can't drive? You know, when you put on your seatbelt? Well, here's the reasons why you do those things. But what you do spend is the whole afternoon. Now, we went to um, a sort of crappy cafe kind of place um, at the next town, um, just inside the airport. Next town inside the airport? Yeah, look, you know what I mean. And you just lay there and you just you just think of the 50 other um, ways that that moment could have unfolded in a very different way that could have killed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people. And it does happen because you hear it on the news all the time. Of course, we all think that bad things happen to other people. That's the very nature of being human or else we would probably never, ever do anything, which, let's be honest, we're kind of being encouraged to right now, right? Anyway, let's not get into that. But what is for sure is that you go through every other possible outcome and you dwell on it. There's nothing you can do. And so when the guy came to get us for the next show, knew what happened. Everybody at the festival knew. They'd heard Primordial was in a um, a big crash. Nobody knew quite how big. And in the end, it was, I suppose, a medium crash because it could have been way, way, way worse. We had to get in another van and the promoter said, look, you, do you want to cancel? And we all looked at each other and went, no, we have to do this. Somehow, I suppose this is a natural feeling. We all felt a bit... I'm like, well, it's all a bonus from here on in. Um, I'm not going to use the word blessed because that's not really how I feel about things. But certainly there was some huge amount of um, luck involved in coming out unscathed and getting out of the van and getting into another van. But of course, then you get into another van and you're tired. You're, you know, you're um, you're kind of spent and shattered. And you're, you know, your brain is going at 100 miles an hour, well, at least mine is, I'm not able to just kind of sleep and brush it off. And you're just going through, well, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if, as I said, that huge, big, red, articulated truck was plowing along behind us? Well, things could have been very different. And so that was the adventure, the bedlam in Belgium, a Saturday morning in um, 7 a.m. on a misty motorway in Belgium. <clears throat> and like I said, if I'm going to share with you um, a story about um, being strip searched in Sweden. I'm sure as hell going to share this one. Got to get my podcast material uh, somewhere, right? Well, here we are. And I said the two different festivals, Thronefest, Graveland Fest, um, I suppose in a sense were uh, relatively night and day. Um, you can't win them all, as the story says. And sometimes you end up playing at the kind of the wrong festival um, at the wrong time. And that was kind of how Friday night was. I think we approached it maybe a bit too lightly personally speaking sometimes you know um you might have one more glass of wine than you should and you think you're just so kind of happy ebullient let's say to be back out there you're just like right this is going to be fucking great and then you when you get out there you go hang on the set's two hours long it's 11 quarter past 11 in the night everyone's been here already for 11 you know 10 hours and everyone's very drunk and you realize oh, okay we don't win this one and what do you have to do when you have to play for one hour 55 you take it on the chin and you go right well 
you you know, you usually win seven or eight or nine out of ten every now and again. You've got to take a little bitch slap of reality and you've got to roll with it. And now this is not to say it was a bad gig at all. Nothing against the festival. Very cool bands. Behexen right before us. Miss Terming were there. Amir Skog. Very cool. But sometimes you can just be a tiny bit of the wrong band in the wrong um, environment. And maybe it was a touch of that. Personally, like I said, the graveyard slot, the deadline slot. This is not where you want. You want to be between 7 and 10 p.m., 11 p.m. You don't want to be going over the midnight. And especially talking to a lot of people, um, you know, um, engineers, crew people, they're saying that people are reacting, acting a little bit differently at festivals now. They are not quite as excitable People are kind of keeping their counsel with their few group of friends, seeing a band, keeping it quiet, leaving a bit early, um, you know, that kind of thing. There isn't this palpable sense of excitement in the air. Now, maybe, maybe that's just because we were in the wrong place at kind of the wrong time. But, you know, cool festival, can't win them, can't win them all, my friends. On the other hand, then Graveland Festival, and I think the fact that both festivals were punctuated with a let's be honest, a near-death experience, you come out the other side going, you know what, I am going to seize the opportunity of today, prepare absolutely properly, be stone-cold sober, not to say that I was drunk, but you know what I mean, Um, stone-cold sober, and today we are going to kill it, it's going to be forceful, it's going to be, you know, um, we're not, I'm not going to approach this with any less than, you know, razor-sharp, precise attitude, you know, not to say that you don't, you know, you don't try and do that all the time or most of the time, but certainly an open air festival, again, punctuated by rain and bad weather. I don't know what it's like where you are, but right now in Dublin, it's about 10 degrees, 12 degrees, lashing rain, windy, grey. I've been playing sport the last few weeks. You wanted to know this, didn't you? And almost every time I've played in a, you know, in a howling gale and lashing rain. Welcome to a good old Irish summer, my friends. Nothing nothing better to lift um, your spirits. And the reason why we stay in pubs. But let's be honest, Irish people don't belong on the beach. It's not for us. We don't belong in sports cars and we certainly don't belong on the beach. Back in the day, the beach was just the place where you went on a bank holiday for the one Saturday where the sun shone so you could drink beer all day in the sun and then fight the people from the next town or fight the people from the next street, or fight the people from the next postcode. That's kind of what the beach was. You can find these fights on YouTube. Put in Dublin beach fights and you will find, or at least you could find, uh, footage, camera footage of dozens and dozens of young lads beating the heads off each other at like five in the afternoon. Their red lobster shoulders and uh, red, you know, boiling or crispy sun Irish sun faces, you know. Not used to as we say, a sunny day. Um, We're not supposed to be in the sun. We're supposed to be in dark, gloomy pubs in some sort of um, half-cast red light, you know, Uh, kind of moodily sitting in the back, maybe. That's our best. That's our best feature. That's That's where we look redolent and resplendent, certainly not on a beach in some sort of swimwear. This is not where we're supposed to be. Anyway, I digress. And so... Graveland Festival, it was weird. It was like getting a a charge of lightning through you. I'm like getting a charge, a a sort of, someone just topped up my fucking battery up to 100% because all day you spend thinking about what could have been, what might have happened if 
many all these different things hadn't unfolded and you know then we played with Watain um, Tribulation guys were there loads of old friends and it all clicks into gear and you go well I deserve I deserve a few whiskeys now I deserve a few whiskeys and that's what you do and then you get lost in a forest with Okai from Bolzer um, trying to find a hotel and you wonder is this really our hotel and then you sit in the lobby all night and then you get your flight in the morning however that flight that long black gloomy Sunday um, you spend again thinking about um, the moment, especially the moment just before impact. Now, look, I understand in the grand scheme of things, there are many, many, many worse things that can happen. And you maybe some of you are sitting there going, well, look, Alan, that may be so. But I lost a leg in a shark attack in 1832 or you know, a, a giant super rat bit off my nose while I was representing um, Belgium in, you know, the National Tiddlywinks Championship or whatever. And I would say, well, that's your that's your story. And you may use that for your podcast. But look, I couldn't let this I couldn't let this go to waste and not discuss it. And so the point, the moral of the story, I suppose, is really um, there. But by the grace of Satan, go I, so to speak, you certainly feel that um, you were granted a little bit of luck to step out of the van unscathed. But I will say, and you've probably noticed this as well, is that seeing as we're on the subject of festivals, quite a lot of festivals are being cancelled. Um, and you, I've had to, we've, this has been the industry discussion about what exactly is happening and why that is happening. And it seems to me that um, there was, a, I suppose, a, a thing that you could notice as bands um, over the last 10, 15 years, there's so many boutique festivals, small festivals of 400 to 1,200 people were popping up all over the place. And it was as if, it was kind of like playing fantasy football or something like this. You could see um, some local kids went, oh my God, look at this lineup of Moscow Rock Orchestra. Sounds, we could do this here in whatever small town they were from. And they began to pop up everywhere and you started to get offers um, from everywhere. And that mindset of, why don't we have a festival here? hasn't really gone away and I suppose the new economic reality of trying to do a festival and the incredible financial burdens that are on everybody as part of it are now being fully absorbed by the industry and people they're realizing as I said before in the previous podcast um, now of course there are exceptions um, you know something that has a brand that has several years behind it is still growing the people kind of trust that it's going to happen or maybe they trust that this is a linchpin in their area. They do come out in enough numbers to make it happen. But for a lot of one-offs and new things, they're struggling. Or maybe festivals that bit off way too much, way more than they can cope with. There's one particular in the UK at the moment, I won't mention the name, that just um, you know collapsed in flames. And if you looked at the bands who were on the bill, whoa, my God, that's a couple of hundred thousand euros in fees I mean, and then you calculate the ticket price and how many people you need to break even. And it feels like some people um, are not making the calculations properly and they're still going off what people were buying in relation to tickets four, five, six, seven, eight years ago. And the fact is, as I've said before on the podcast, it feels like there are a percentage of people who are never coming back. Just like um, in the in the workforce, they, you know, there are many, many employment sectors where they can't get people to work anymore, especially not for the shitty wages they're trying to pay them. But many people have just moved on 
and there's nobody left to fill their place. And it feels a little bit like that in a sense that there are people who, after the break of gigs and socializing, went, you know what, I prefer being at home. I'm, you know, it's not just the pandemic or being afraid of a virus or whatever. They went, I'm not really into this anymore. I just think I'd rather play computer games and, you know, make dinner and have wine with my friends and rather than get on the bus and go in, come back home, hang, hung over and blah, blah, blah. They just, they don't want to play the game anymore. Okay, no problem. But there are also an element of people who are just non-committal. Like I said, I called it in Ireland before. Ireland. I called it, and we call it flaking. And, you know, this happened as soon as people had all had mobile phones. They were able to not take a phone call anymore and just send a text or ghost someone or whatever. I suppose it's kind of like ghosting, um, you know, a social experience. You just decide, meh, no, not going. And the com- the problem is, is that the commitment of buying that ticket was what the um, festival booker was able to pay the bands their deposit for. Because if your fee, let's say, for example, your... Um, band X and you're being paid let's say for argument's sake 5,000 euro for your show for from that 5,000 euro you've got to take the booking agent's commission which is usually 15% and that comes off the top before anything has been paid for then your flights come out of that flights which used to be 100 150 euro are now 3, 4, 500 550 euro every guitar is 50 euro each way now you can do the math on that as to how much might be left for a mid-ranking band on a festival fee of 5,000 euro the answer is very, very little. But the deposit on that 5,000 euro, 2,500 euro, usually would have to be paid four to six weeks in advance by the booking agent. This is kind of like a financial act of goodwill, which states we're going ahead and we're not going to, you know, of course, I mean, fundamentally for me as an artist, as a musician, I don't think artists should be paying for their own flights. Now, of course, if you're in the opening slots, I mean, this is the risk you have to take to try and build the band up. But the deposit is the financial act of goodwill um, from a, you know, that just it's part of the structure of business that allows the agency to buy the flights or, you know, the band, if they don't have one, to, you know, be able to pay at least the flights if they aren't earning any money up front. And without that um, advanced ticket money for the, you know, that they were banking on for the previous 10, 20 years, a vital cog in the organism dies or let's say, you know, something in the food chain has now been taken away and it's almost impossible for the festival to continue because if you think about and um, let's take x festival um in the you know i mean, it's a bad example but let's take um a, a festival that has uh, 1200 people at it and they're paying you know 40 50 euro for a ticket for a weekend you can do the math on that and then you can for example consider the headline band might be getting 10 12000 euro 14000 euro next band 8 9 10000 euro and then five, six thousand euro. And then, you know, you go down till you get to the people at the front of the bill. Um, if no one buys a ticket for that festival, that means that particular organizer is going to have to front maybe 50,000 euro, 40, 30 to 50,000 euro for a festival that uh, is bringing 1,000, 1,500 people. And maybe they don't have the uh, financial recompense to do so. And this is where the big problem is happening. Like I said, the non-committal um, attitude and non-buying of tickets is a vital part of that food chain if you're taking it away. And you may say, um, this is, of course, what well, you may say. I mean, obviously, of course, this is people's financial right. And considering the incredible pressures of the cost of living right now, I can understand that maybe a 40, 50, 60 or 80 euro ticket um, is just not affordable right now. And even at least even in my own city, the amount of gigs that are happening in the last month, if you were to go to all of them, 
I don't even know how you'd be able to pay the rent or feed yourself and go to all of these gigs. You've got to pick and choose. And knowing in the back of your head, you're like, nothing's really selling out because you know what I've just said is true. So therefore, you decide on the day, on the morning, do I feel like it? Eh. Nah, not really. It's raining. Well, I mean, you know, it's raining every day here. But um, when you when you make that decision and people make that decision en masse, it removes a financial, um, as I said, uh, you know, a sort of wooden block in the Jenga pile. And it makes it very hard to calculate anything. So that's why we're seeing all of these cancellations of shows everywhere at the moment, these cancellations of small festivals. That's what's happening. I'm here for the inside scoop. Um, I got asked a couple of great questions over on my Patreon, actually, about um, the original recording contracts, what they were like and how did that change? The answer is not very much. Um, you know, about all these words like publishing royalties, advance um, money, um, streaming percentages, how this affects your unrecouped and recouped advances and all these complicated questions about a standard recording contract. And I realized I'd never really got into just what a standard recording contract was for like for the 30 for you know for 40 50 years um and it's a pretty interesting thing i did some music law in college so what i'm going to do is um either next tuesday rather than you know post one of my old video discussions um again but you can understand why that's happening why I'm doing that. Some great chats in there. you got to get them out there. Um, I'm going to take then maybe the next step of the po episode of the podcast to look at the nitty gritty of a contract and why once you take away, for example, um, that band's ability to play live and earn and the merch they might earn, even though that's becoming harder and harder uh, to sell. Um, why once you take those things away, there is no financial structure? Again, the uh, let's call them the, the Jenga puzzle. Well, my friends, that is episode um, 111. Let me know in the comments if you like my new husky tone voice. I am available for um, maybe is there a Rod Stewart covers band out there somewhere? Um, you know, there's a there's a reference for the kids. <laughs> if there's a yeah, let me know. Let me know. Maybe um, maybe there's a I don't know who else has a, a husky voice. Barry White, perhaps. Yeah, I could. That could be it. Anyway, my friends, episode 111 is High Speed Dirt, Bedlam in Belgium. It's about, well, our lived experience of a high-speed motorway crash and the fact that all of us stepped out of the van unscathed, except my mental state. Well, my friends, Agitators Anonymous, over and out. Planet Satan is calling Nanu Nanu. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> 